Well, good morning, Cornerstone. It's good to see you all. I hope you're surviving the wind uh, that hit us pretty strong last night. If you're new, I'm Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my honor and privilege to invite you to point your Bibles to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. We'll pick up where we left off last week. If you don't have a Bible, please just grab one from under the chair in front of you. You will find Colossians chapter 1 on page 983 of the church Bible. Many more thanks goes to all of the selfless people who are serving us today in Cornerstone Kids, in Pebbles, and also in the nursery and allowing us to gather here and to hear from God through His Word. So we're going to pick up where we left off um, last week in verse 9, and I'm going to go ahead and read from verse 9 down to verse 14. We will uh, spend some time together working through this passage, it should be 45 minutes or so, so I'll read it. And then we'll pray, and then uh, we'll get started. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. This is the word of the Lord. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray together. We do ask You, Father, that You would fill us with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That we would bear fruit in every good work. That we would increase in the knowledge of God. That we, by your Holy Spirit, would be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might for endurance and patience And with joy that we would give thanks to the Father who by your work has qualified us to be inheritors, co-inheritors with the saints in the light. What a blessed privilege you have given to us. That we have been transferred from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of your beloved Son. In whom we have redemption and forgiveness. Open our eyes to see this word and to see its glorious reality once again, for Jesus' sake. Amen. I've been diagnosed with a chronic illness. That's one of them. It's a genetic illness and it's terminal. My children have it. Doctors say that I have about 40 years or so to live. 
I don't know the Latin phrase for this illness, but in English, it's this, people-pleasing. If I'm talking to most of you, you have it too. I am a people-pleaser, and so are you. Here are some of the symptoms of people-pleasing. Passivity. Avoiding confrontation. Never telling someone they're wrong or that they have done wrong. Concession. Giving in to persons' demands and being enslaved by the fickle demands of the crowd. Another symptom? Decision-making paralysis. Especially when other people are involved. You can't say no. Oh, but you can say sorry all the time. And if someone is dissatisfied with you, it eats at you and you can't sleep. Blending in is another symptom. Acting like everyone else around you. Well, here are some lesser obvious symptoms of my people pleasing. Self-promotion. Putting my own achievements forward while carefully hiding or ignoring my weaknesses. Recognition. Making sure that we get credit for the things that, we do, that, that we've done, that people know what we have done, that people know what we're capable of doing. Another lesser known sign of people pleasing. Resentfulness. Resenting others not even being sure why you resent them, resenting them because they're more liked than you, resenting them because they're more in the know than you, or resenting them because they're on the inside and you're on the outside. There are many signs of people pleasing. It's an epidemic among humans and most dogs. Cats seem to be immune, I think. But if we're honest, most of us spend far too much time and energy being concerned about what other people think of us and working, carefully working, to improve their perceptions. If that's you, if you, like me, are a people pleaser, can I just ask you a couple of questions? Don't you find that exhausting? Fellow sufferer, isn't people pleasing just so unfulfilling? Can't we just admit that the prize that we seek is neither satisfying or even possible? You can't read other people's minds. And can we just admit, it's not worth it. Besides, people-pleasing isn't good for us, and it doesn't help anyone else. And as Christians... People-pleasing severely limits our usefulness in the church and in the kingdom. Well, I'm glad to report to you today that if you suffer like I do from this illness, there is a cure. And the cure for this illness is in the title of the sermon today. It's a simple solution. It's God-pleasing. If you want to move from being a people-pleaser To being not a people pleaser, the solution is being a God pleaser. 
pleasing the Lord brings you fulfillment. And to the degree in which you are pleasing the Lord, you will not only find fulfillment, but you will also be helpful to others. Here's the big idea from this passage this morning. We are to pray for and to live fruitful, thankful lives that please the Lord. We are to pray for and live fruitful, thankful lives that please the Lord. So some things in this passage are helpful to help you and I move from being people pleasers to God pleasers. The first that we'll see, and you can see this written out for you on the back side of your hand, handout, the first one is knowing God pleases God. We'll see that in verse 9 and the first part of 10. The second thing that we'll see is fruitfulness and thankfulness and dependence on God pleases God. We'll see that in verse 10, the second part of 10 into 12. And then last of all, we'll see that God-pleasing is grounded in the finished work of Jesus Christ in verses 13 and 14. So that's where we're headed this morning. Let's have a look again at verse 9 in the first part of 10. Paul writes, And so from the first day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. What a prayer to pray. This is a prayer. The letter to the Colossians was written, as I told you last week, by the Apostle Paul and his, young, his friend, a young pastor named Timothy. He wrote this letter to this Christian church in the city of Colossae, which is in uh, western Turkey today. Now, Colossae was not a prominent town in, like, like maybe Ephesus or Antioch or Athens. It was not a center of learning or philosophy or culture. Famous people didn't live there. It was not even a town that many people visited. It actually hasn't even been excavated because, well, it, uh, it was destroyed by an earthquake, or, or, a really massive earthquake, but also Why would you want to excavate a town like Colossae? It was not a great town. There was no historic value to that town. Just a small, normal little town in Asia Minor. But there was a church in the town of Colossae. And their little church in their little town occasioned a little letter from the Apostle Paul, which has been canonized in Scripture. Most of you know that the Apostle Paul wrote at least 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. And towards the beginning of many of Paul's letters that he writes to churches, he gives the church some things, he kind of writes out some things that he's been praying for, for them. And that's what we see in our passage here. This is a prayer. And these prayers of Paul are imminently useful to us. They are scripts that we can use to pray over our church, over our family, indeed, even of our own lives. So indulge me a moment as I repeat myself from last week. Can I encourage you to pray for your church? If you're already praying for Cornerstone, please continue to pray for us. 
Pray this passage over this church. Take the membership role and work through it, name by name. Open up the online directory and work through those families, name by name. These passages are eminently useful for our prayer life. They keep the eternal kingdom values central for our prayer life. You know, you can tell a lot about a person by what they pray for and what they ask for prayer for. Our prayers reveal our priorities. I'm often encouraged by the prayer requests that I hear at our Living Stones groups. Often when we go around the room and we ask for prayer, I'll hear asking for prayer for faithfulness at work, regularity in family worship, spiritual well-being of children, biblical priorities informing prayer requests. You can tell a lot about a person by what they pray for. So can I encourage you? Pray Colossians 1, 9 through 12 over your church. Inoculate yourself against people pleasing and self-seeking by praying kingdom priorities over others. This is an apostolic prayer. It has been ordained and sanctioned by God himself and added to Scripture. I don't know if you're like me, but oftentimes when I'm praying, I just don't know what to pray for. I just don't know what the will of the Lord is. I don't know what to ask God to do. But here is a, it's a gimme. It's a underhanded lob for you to pray something that is guaranteed that God will answer. Because this is in the canon of Scripture. You know that you're praying God's will when you're praying from God's word. So let's dig into the particulars of Paul's prayer. The first thing that Paul prays is this. He prays that the Colossians would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul prays that the Colossians would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, whenever Scripture speaks of God's will, I think it's important to, rem- to remind yourself that God's will is in reference to God's big will, like His overarching will. Rarely do we see God's will being spoken of in terms of His will for individual people and their lives. So, it's rarely that Uh, You see God's will being something like whether a person should be a farmer or a carpenter or whether someone should marry this person or that person or whether somebody should go to this college or to that one. Those things are great to pray for and you should be praying for those things. But when Paul is praying for the Colossians to know the will of God, he means that they would know God's plan to reveal the glory of his grace in the universe. It's his great macro plan for all things. Commentator Douglas Moo writes this, what Paul has in mind is not some particular special direction for one's life, but a deep and abiding understanding of the revelation of Christ and all that he means for the universe and for the Colossians. So this spirit-given wisdom and understanding is so that we would know what God is doing in the earth and by implication through us. 
So when we read passages like this, realize, or at least I, I, I realize, often when I read a passage like this, I realize how small my prayers really are. You know, no matter how big your view of God is, it's too small. Would that God would open our eyes and that we would see just how big He is. And how would the, the bigness of our God change the way we pray? Paul wants the Colossians to know God's will. He prays the Spirit would impart to them wisdom and understanding because Paul knows and he reveals this next in his prayer that right knowledge leads to right behavior. You know, what you believe about God determines how you live. Being filled with the knowledge of God's will will enable the Colossians, as he writes next, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him. You can see that in that little phrase, so as to. To the degree in which we are being filled with the knowledge of God's will and spiritual wisdom and understanding is the degree to which we will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Knowing God pleases God. You want to be set free from people pleasing? Read your Bible. Do theology. Dig into Scripture. Learn about the God of the Bible and His glorious purpose in all things. You see, when we know what God is doing on the earth in bringing glory to His Son, we tend to hold on loosely to our own ambitions. It's not that our ambitions are unimportant. It's just that they're less important. Studying theology has a way of putting things into perspective. So you might want to start a successful business. Maybe you want to raise a happy family. Perhaps you want to publish a book, record an album, or travel the world. Those are worthwhile ambitions. But make it your primary ambition to live a life worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Make that your greater ambition. Because even if you don't reach those other ambitions, your life is not wasted. But can I tell you, you could start a happy family. You could have a successful business. You could record a best-selling album. You could write a best-selling book and you could acclaim all the fame that you could have ever imagined and yet at the end of your life realize it was a waste. But the good news is nothing you spend on bringing glory to God is ever wasted. That is guaranteed. So Paul continues his prayer giving three ways in which we can fully please the Lord. So what pleases the Lord? Well, here are three things. This is verses, second half of 10 into 12. Paul continues, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. There it is again. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. 
for all endurance and patience, with joy giving thanks to the Father. So the first thing that pleases the Lord, fruitfulness, bearing fruit in every good work. Of course, then God has made you to bear fruit. And this fruitfulness, this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It goes all the way back to the first man and the first woman to whom God gave this command, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. This is the creation mandate. It is the mandate upon all humans. And by nature, God has made us people who seek fruitfulness. We, we seek to be producers of things. We plant fields for food. We build homes. We build cities. We build culture. We build society. We build governments. We build business. We build trade. Sometimes we create things just for the sake of creating them. Like art. And music. Sometimes we plant flowers which have no value except the way they look because we enjoy beauty. We design clothes and make art and make music just because there are some things that are valuable just because they are. So we enjoy color and shape and texture and we cook food for more than just sustenance. We also want it to look good. Humans are creative by nature because God is. God has made us to desire fruitfulness and to produce. But not all that humans produce is lovely. Since Genesis chapter 3, our rebellion against our Creator has bent our creativity inward. And instead of creating things to enjoy them, to enjoy God. We, instead of creating things to help others, sometimes we create things to not help others, but to hurt them. We create things in wickedness. Yes, it's true that we can build baby beds, but it's also true that we build bombs. We use chemicals to cure illness and use chemicals to create them. It wasn't long after the fall from God in Eden that human creativity got together to build Babel, to become our own gods and to rule ourselves. How much of our creativity is being spent on the same, on people-pleasing? So Paul prays that the Colossians would please the Lord in bearing fruit for the Lord. Man-pleasing works to please others, but God-pleasing works to please God. It does good works for His sake so that He gets the recognition. God-pleasing secretly leaves baby formula for a family in need. God-pleasing drops off dinner for a family in need. It opens its home to a woman's Bible study. It helps someone get through an addiction. God-pleasing closes its ear to gossip 
and opens its mouth to encouragement. God-pleasing repents quickly and forgives fully. So Paul prays that the Colossians would bear fruit in every good work. Well, how is that even possible? How do you bear fruit in every good work? Well, then he goes on and he says, by increasing in the knowledge of God. Number two, second thing he prays for is that they would increase in the knowledge of God. This pleases the Lord. Deepening theology pleases the Lord. Paul's already mentioned this. We've already touched on this, but this is a theme throughout this letter. The apostle all the time is lifting up Jesus in front of our eyes and causing us to see him to do theology, to learn about God. Because Paul knows that by seeing Jesus, our affections are changed and we will want to become more like him. We will want to please him. We will want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. The more we know God, the more fruitful our lives will become. Theology is just a study of God. And theology is the privilege of all of us. If you are a follower of Jesus, you do theology and you need to keep doing theology. Theology is not the practice that's been reserved for stuffy old white guys in seminaries who wear bow ties. Theology is the privilege of all of us to learn more about the God we serve. Colossians chapter 2 verse 3 says that in Jesus is hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do you want to know stuff? You want to be wise? Do theology. Study Jesus. And you get all that other stuff just thrown in. This is why the first thing that we ask of every text when we study Scripture is this question. What does this tell me about God? We don't ask first, okay, this is the text. This is what I'm reading. Now what do I do? You skipped over the most important part. The first thing you ask when you're studying Scripture is, what does this reveal to me about who God is? More than you need to know what you need to do, you need to know who God is. Because when you know who God is, all the other stuff just falls into place. The more that we care about pleasing God, the less we are enslaved to pleasing man. The third way Paul prays for the Colossians to please the Lord is by their increasing dependence on God. This feels like a curveball at first. Read this in verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. Living worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to the Lord is not something that anyone here can do on our own. It wasn't anything someone in Colossae could do on their own. We need the Lord himself to do the work, and we are dependent on Him. And our dependence on Him pleases Him. Notice how everything in this verse is in the passive voice. We are being strengthened. It is God doing the work by His glorious might. The language of Paul is effusive here. All power, glorious might, all endurance and patience. In Christ, we're strengthened by God with the greatest strength imaginable. The power to walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, it's not in us. It's in Him. 
You see, what God requires of you, God equips you for. What God calls you to, God equips you for. Sometimes you'll hear people say that God will never give you anything you can't handle. That's dumb. God only gives you things you can't handle. That's the point. He gives you things to make you dependent on Him. Because your dependence on Him pleases Him. So it's, it's easy in crisis to despair, saying, I can't, I can't do this. I cannot endure this any, I'm so tired of this. And in one sense, it's right. You can't endure this. You must depend on God. Felicia and I were talking about this just earlier before the service started this morning. Is that those things that give us anxiety, they're meant not for us to sit there and stew in that anxiety, but to take that thing to the Lord. And can I just tell you something I just love about God? He's not like our earthly fathers. He doesn't get turned off by our neediness. When you were a little kid and you kept asking your mom for the same thing over and over and over again, and finally, she just had it. That's enough. God never says that's enough. God never gets weary of my neediness. He doesn't get tired of you asking the same thing over and over and over. You are not a bother to your God. You know, he wants you to come. He even tells you to come. What do you suppose it means to pray without ceasing? He means keep on asking for the same thing over and over and over and over again. I'm not going to get tired. So God is not calling you into some difficult situation so that by your grit you can get through it. God is calling you to endure in a situation to depend on Him because He is glorified by giving you His glorious strength. Endurance, patience, this is the arena in which faithfulness is played out. As a Christian, your life is tethered to God's future promises. Guaranteed by His past work, but tethered to His future promises. Though our life is lived in the present, we are tethered to a future hope. We believe that God will make good on His word. And we act like it. Do you know how freeing it is to be freed from man-pleasing, people-pleasing. The dependent man, the dependent woman is free from managing her own life. She's been unleashed from always having to monitor how things are going because she knows it's in the Lord's hands. 
He's set loose from having to worry about how he appears to others. Do they like me? Do they think I'm successful? Do they think I'm reputable? Are they happy with me? Am I doing enough for them? Am I doing too much for them? Well, these are questions that are just left happily unanswered. And there are questions that nag us no more. Because we are not what they need. And they are not what we need. Their acceptance and validation is not what we need. Jesus is what both of us need. We know that we can't make them happy. That Their praise doesn't make us happy either. It's only Jesus. And once we've seen how much God has done for us and how much we owe him, this produces in us the last thing that Paul prays for, thanksgiving. Joy-filled thanksgiving. Just a textual note, the little phrase with joy could be attached to patience, or it could be attached to giving thanks. And in my research in this passage, most commentaries prefer to put with joy to giving thanks. Could go either way. Thankfulness pleases God. Thankfulness is the natural overflow of the dependent life. The needy person has their needs met and they're grateful. You'll see this in mature Christians. Giving thanks is their native tongue. You can usually spot a mature Christian by the way that they speak, by the thankfulness that kind of just flows out of them. They're thanking God for everything. They're giving God credit for everything they do, everything they see. Everything good is a gift from God. Old Christians know something the rest of us are still learning. God owes us nothing. But in Christ has given us everything. All is of grace, all is a gift, and so the only response that makes any sense at all is thankfulness. And this recognition that we are sinners deserving nothing but God's just judgment, that God owes us nothing, but he has given us everything in Christ, becomes the subject of the rest of this passage. This rest the rest of this passage, verse 12 to 14, is really the rock-solid foundation of how it is that we can walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Let's take a look. We give thanks to the Father who has, this is His work, qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Every statement of these two and a half verses is passive. If you are in Christ, this is what your God has done for you. So the point should be clear enough. God himself has provided what sinners need to walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. 
The essence of Christianity is not what Christians do. It's the essence of what God has done for us in Christ. If verses 9 to 11 are the fruit of the Christian life, these are her roots. At least five things the Lord has done for His people. He has qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered them from the domain of darkness. He has transferred them to the kingdom of His beloved Son. He has redeemed them, and He has forgiven their sins. Five things your God has done for you through His Son. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, trust in Him today. Unbelievers, agnostics, atheists, Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, those who just aren't sure, all of them are welcome in this church. All of them with all of their questions. Being a Christian is about what God has done for us. And we want you to know if that's who you are, that those of us who are Christians, who are in Christ, it is not because of something that we have done. It is everything that God has done for us. Eternal life is not something we have earned. The only thing that we earned was the judgment of God by committing sin. I think it was Jonathan Edwards who said the only thing that we contributed to our salvation was the sin that put Jesus on the cross. It was all of grace and all of God. And here's the big idea. I've been saying it for weeks. Because we didn't do anything to deserve this, anyone can get in on this. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've not done, it's free and it's for all. What qualifies us for eternal life? How do we inherit celestial glory? You you don't have to do anything. God has qualified us in Christ. It was God who sent His Son Jesus to bear the penalty of our sins. And so we look to Christ. So do you see us... How how Paul describes that we have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. You once were lost and you have been found. You were once walking in darkness and your God went and found you. You know, you didn't become a Christian because you were walking around, stumbling around in darkness. And then you started following some light and you made good decisions and you found yourself to Jesus. The Bible says you were dead in your trespasses and sin. And God made you alive together with Christ. He found you. Not because of anything that you have done or anything that you would do, but simply because He loved you. Simply because He's that kind. He's delivered us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His Son. Those of us who are in Christ have been bought back. That's what that word redeemed means. 
Before Jesus saved you, you were under the clutches of Satan, under the domain of darkness. The jurisdiction of eternal hell had its grip on you. But when God raised Jesus from the dead, he overcame that power of darkness. Sin and death were conquered. And those who are in Christ have been brought out of darkness and into God's marvelous light and given citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. This is the business of the Christian church. This is the business of the Christian life given to all of us. And this is the path that has been paved with the blood of Jesus Christ. And upon this road, we walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. I, I, I'm not sure I, I've really felt the weight of that phrase, worthy of the Lord. But the reality is, dear Christian, the day that you walk and, and, and the day that you approach the celestial gates of heaven. And the question in your mind goes, what right do I have? How is it that I am worthy to enter this place? The God and judge of heaven will look upon you, dear Christian, and he will see his son. And he will see all that his son has done. And upon your life, he will declare, worthy, come into my eternal home. Our lives are not our own. We use our creativity that God has given us to bear fruit in every good work for his sake. We make his name renowned in the earth. We grow in the knowledge of God by digging deep into His Word because of what we have seen so far is so infinitely precious. We just want more. We endure with patience, knowing the goodness of God and holding fast to His glorious promises for each and every one of us, giving thanks with joy because of all He is and all that He has done. So I'll end today by encouraging you again to pray these verses over your life and over your family and over your church. Pray that God would deliver us from people-pleasing and make us fearless, joyful, God-pleasers. Pray the Lord would fill us with the knowledge of His will, that He would enable us to bear fruit in every good work, that we would be a grateful people, a light to shine in the darkness of this present age and turn us from people-pleasing to God-pleasing for His glory. Amen. Please stand to your feet for the prayer of confession. Father, we pray that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We thank you, Lord, that this might be what the fourth time that we're praying today, that you're not tired of hearing our voices. You've commanded us to pray. And so here we are, begging and asking, pounding on the glass ceiling and asking for heaven to release her blessings. Lord, we have often sought to please others more than you. 
We've sought our own reputation. We've sought to increase our fame. We've worked to build a life for our glory and our own name. And Lord, we admit that we have not walked in a manner worthy of the Lord. We have sought to define what a worthy life looks like in our own terms. We've ignored your clear instructions and sought out our own way. So we recognize that we are sinners, deserve nothing but your just judgment. But we see in Christ, you are infinitely gracious and full of mercy. And so we're not afraid to turn to you. Will you forgive our sins? Will you show mercy to us again? Lord, we are a needy people, and we need you more than anything. Come to us, Lord, again through Christ and cleanse us of our unrighteousness. Would you grant to us the desire and the ability to walk worthy of the Lord and to please you? Would you enable us to bear fruit in every good work? And would you help us to get to know you more? Draw us into your word this week. Draw us in the morning, draw us in the afternoon, draw us in the evening. May the meditations of our heart be on Jesus. May our thoughts rest on him and his promises. Lord, for the husbands and fathers here who are not leading their family in Bible study, forgive them and enable them to start this week. Help us in our prayers. Help us to pray your word over one another. And for those who continue to reject your kindness, Lord, soften their hearts. Grant them faith to believe. Give them a new heart and new desires to seek you and to know you. We ask these things through Jesus. Amen. Well, your assurance of pardon today comes from Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25. God writes this. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sin.